You're listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Craig, for those who haven't come across you online yet, tell our listeners your name and tell them why we're talking. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, my name is Craig Douglas. I'm one of the founders of StatumRx. Um, StatumRx, really, uh, there's really two pieces to the business. One is a provider-focused PBM, so driving solutions, uh, managed care solutions to um, to the outside entities, but doing it from a provider-focused lens, so a pharmacy lens. Um, and then the other component is really healthcare logistics and, um, you know, being able to help pharmacies compete in a space that now everybody expects everything on demand, right? And so we've created a solution to help uh, pharmacies compete in that space. On your website, you describe yourself as a pharmacy brat. What does that mean? I'm imagining you're a youngster, you're in the in the pharmacy of your parents and so on. You know, it's interesting in you owning independent pharmacies and knowing what it means. It's an all-hands-on-board business, right? Um, you know, it takes a family to run it or a family to mess it up one way or another. And, um, you know, when other kids would be done with soccer practice, they would go home we would go to the pharmacy, right? And there was always one more thing to do and one more item to check off the list. And for me, back in the old days, it was possibly, I was putting the drug order away, right? Because nobody could get to it during the day because it was so busy. And so now you got this tote full of meds, you got to get it put away. And I'd have to try to, you know, remember my dad used to categorize things brand, and then he'd put the generic next to it. So I'd have to know what the darn generic was. It was just, I mean, it was so convoluted and difficult for a kid and all I really wanted to do is go home and maybe watch some cartoons and grab a bite to eat. But um, that was the business we were in, right? And so you'd spend a lot of hours there and you chipped in wherever you could, um, whether that was doing deliveries. And then sometimes you're just, you were just that kid in the way, right? And I learned to do Papa Willie's on wheelchairs and because <laughs> I just, yeah. just burning time, you know? And um, did you work through high school at your dad's? Yeah. Oh yeah. I, and, but it was always in fits and starts, right? Depending on how much, um, you know, how much uh, sports were going on and what my activities were, but for sure during the summers, I mean, there was just no escaping it. In most cases you were there. So even if you weren't technically working, you may be there just so they keep an eye on you if you didn't have baseball or something else to be done. Right. My problem back then is, you know, my dad would do the schedule and he always knew where I was basically. So you couldn't just put on there like not like nowadays I'll tell my team I'm like if we have enough people yeah. on the payroll, if we have if I have enough employees, if I've done my job right and if I know about how many hours a week you want to work, I don't care if Monday morning is your crying morning and you want to stay home in bed and and do that or yeah. you know Wednesday you like to watch TV at night or something. And so I'm like just use this computer program we have and we'll work it out. But back then, it's like my dad always knew where I was. So you couldn't <laughs> just say like, yeah, I want to take Friday night off. It's like, well, yeah. what are you doing? Is it, you know, there, there's got to be a football game or something to do that. So I don't know. I always kind of felt and it was it was job security, I guess. But it yeah. was um, it was a pretty tight rein. Not that he needed that tight rein for my growth, but that I think it, it was good for him to know where I was if there was a pinch at the pharmacy. Yeah. I didn't like it all the time, you know? No, but it, but it's, it, it, I mean, they're family run businesses, right? It's the same thing with your family. It's like the pharmacy was just a, it was just a, uh, you know, it was just an extension of the family, which is, 
is kind of crazy um, when you think about it, but it worked. It, you know, it provided for us, it provided the opportunities, it opened up lots of doors. And so, you know, I tell you my time in the pharmacy and growing up in that space, it really defined me as an individual and how I think about businesses and how I think about relationships going forward. So, you know, uh, you know, I got a lot of uh, probably uh, <laughs> bad memories as, as we were saying, but uh, yeah. so many good positive ones as well. Yeah. Did your mom work in the store? She did. She did until I think, you know, got to the point where uh, just didn't make sense anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Because of their relationship or because financially? Nope, nope. It's it's the first one. Um, And so it just made sense. She got into real estate and, uh, you know, thank God to have some diversification in the family was, you know, a good thing, you know. (laughs) Right, right. So it worked out great. But I, yeah, I remember the early days when it was like literally the whole family, right, including my mom and and that's just, that's tough. And you probably talked about it all the time, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, going home and dinner and dad wants to talk about PBMs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my dad too. It would be like, and even after I was married, you know, and I was still working at the pharmacy, you'd come over and you'd be sitting there on a Sunday or something and he'd just start, you know, talking about something. And It's always pharmacy related in some It's always It was always pharmacy. To this day, he's in retirement. It's still, those are the conversations we're having. It's just it's it's just so in his DNA, and it's comfortable. There's always a topic to talk about. Years and years and years, and that's all you know, right? And uh, you always get nuggets of information, though. Always nuggets of knowledge, which is super powerful. Did you guys have one store? Uh, I would say he expanded and, and contracted over the years, <laughs> right? Um, which is it's the nature of the business, right? I think there was you know times where you could go. We were in the Willamette Valley, which is kind of wine country out in Oregon, and you'd see an opportunity in an adjacent city and you'd go after it. And, you know, but the, the, the challenge I think you have in independent pharmacy and definitely had at the time is you're trying to do both, right? You're trying to be a pharmacist, trying to be on the counter, build those relationships, but you also got to be running the business. And um, it was always a tough balance. And so, uh, you know, he would expand into markets and then sometimes it'd be like, Oh gosh, maybe overextended himself. Right. Um, and, and that's, I think that's a tough part about, that particular industry is, you know, they teach you how to be a pharmacist, right? They don't necessarily teach you how to be a businessman. Um, and so it can catch up with you. As you know, pharmacy is not one to, it's not a hobby. Um, it'll catch up with you really quick. Um, and so he had some opportunities. He expanded. By the end, he contracted to his uh, original pharmacy uh, and he just rebuilt it out. He built like kind of his dream pharmacy and that was kind of his retirement plan and it and it worked out well. Did you have siblings in the business? Yeah, I think most of us all were in some form or fashion over the years, but there was four so three siblings and myself and um, you know, again you couldn't escape it, but we were all spaced, you know, 3 or 4 years apart and so they always had somebody to, you know, do some do some grunt work around the pharmacy. <laughs> Did any of your siblings end up in the profession at all? No, not on a, not from a professional standpoint. Uh, one of my sisters did spend some time um, working in the pharmacy, helping my dad from the business standpoint uh, until he decided to, to close up his last shop. Um, but me and another sister of mine are both been in the pharmacy space for for years. Actually, right out of college, basically, we've been in some sort of pharmacy space. We had 12 kids in our family, and I think that the other ones didn't go into it. They all liked my dad, but it was easier to hang out with my dad at home than to be with him at the pharmacy. I don't think anybody could really 
understand because they always saw my dad as joking around and happy, but there's a pressure that you can just see in their eyes as saying, we want this right. And that pressure, I think, transferred over positive and negative to the kids. But I think that none of my siblings went into it because they knew that my dad wasn't probably close to retirement. I went into it knowing that when I graduated, I was probably going to be a few years or something before he would have been done. You know, it's interesting. I think from my standpoint, I can't speak to all the kids, but I think one thing we saw in our early days is he was a community pharmacist, right? And he was a part of the community. And that was his passion. Not necessarily pharmacy. It was helping people, right? That was what he loved. And, and you could see it. He loved, I mean, people came, Mike, how are you doing? How are things? Like he just great rapport with the community. But by the end, as you, as you know, it, it, he started being tested on, you know, how fast can he operate? How accurate can he be? What are his financials? And it just became less about chasing down, you know, payments and reimbursements and, you know, all the other nuances. And it, became less about being uh, a community pharmacist and more about just business first. So you always, you always got this undercurrent from him of not, not being happy, loving the profession, loving pharmacy, but not being happy about the transition from being a community to a, you know, a, a major business. And precisely. So that scared a lot of us away. When were his last productive years of actually being in the pharmacy and working and things like that? Yeah, I mean, early 2000s, right? So you started seeing, you know, integrations of payers and, the, you know, the model started changing quite a bit. Um, and and a lot of people, I'd say a lot of pharmacies got caught flat-footed, right? Um, and rightfully so. He, he didn't need to have the energy to put into it at that point. And he didn't have somebody to step in and really do it. And I think that was probably the only regret is, you know, having somebody, a child of his or somebody who could step in and start to do those types of things probably would have been meaningful or finding somebody he could, you know, he could bring in as a, an associate, right. And train them up and possibly sell it to them. I think that's probably the, the only piece that uh, he probably wasn't super happy about, right. At the end of the day. And I get it. Everybody wants to leave a legacy. At one point, did your dad know that you were not going to be part of that legacy because that wasn't your direction? Oh, I think it was pretty obvious by my uh, grades coming in from high school that I wasn't going to be a part. <laughs> right? So, I mean, we all have to own it at some point. I mean, it is what it is. And, and, and as you know, pharmacy got more and more and more competitive and you know, when you're not a straight A student and not very close, you know, you know, you don't have much of a chance. Um, and, uh, you know, and I would say I'm probably, probably more built like my dad. I'm kind of the guy that is, you know, I want to be that community guy. I want to be engaged. I want to build relationships. I want to do all those things. Right. Um, so it probably wasn't a good fit for me anyways. I think both me and one of my other sisters, I think there's a little bit of, um, she had a much better chance of being a pharmacist than me, but um, there's a little bit regret because you kind of want to carry that on, right? And um, I see it today. My wife's a dentist, and it's a beautiful profession. And you know, there's always talk about our two little ones. Would, would one of them be dentists? I don't know. It sounds like a really good story. I think it's something you'd like to see, but I, I, I just don't know that that's you know. I think it's rare nowadays. I think it's hard to 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 have that. Um, you see it a lot more in dentistry. You see a lot of second, third generation um, practices for sure. Um, 
a little bit tougher in pharmacy nowadays. If it wasn't for me, none of my siblings were even close to it and it would have just done, you know, it would have just been sold or whatever. Yeah. So you get into college. Was pharmacy the furthest thing from your mind? Were you like, I'm going to go out and do this? And you thought the pharmacy will just go its way. You didn't expect to be in the profession? Yeah, no. Yeah, no, I had no thoughts about it, honestly. I, uh, except for just, you know, I think we all kind of felt like it'd be nice to leave a little legacy uh, for her father. But um, no, I mean, as most, you know, people when they go to college, they go out there and, you know, I went to college and graduated and thought I was pretty smart. And I knew a lot of people and I was well on my way. And then I realized I wasn't that smart, didn't know a lot of people. And you end up knocking on your dad's door saying, hey, do you know anybody who can find me a job? <laughs> and, that, and that was the reality, right? That's kind of how it all started because you know, when you go into the profession of pharmacy, you're going to be a pharmacist, right? And there's lots of different avenues you can go, but you know who you are. You know what you are, right? I was a business degree major. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know which direction I was going to go. I could have gone to advertising. I could have gone, you know, who knows, finance. I mean, a million different directions. And so. Yeah, that's the thing with pharmacy is sometimes it's even a, oh, I guess everybody would wish they could have this problem right now, but, you know, golden handcuffs. But I mean, you're, you almost feel guilty doing something else. But with business, you don't really have that, you know, good and bad. You don't have that solid direction. In the long run, it might be good. In the short run, though, you don't, you don't know your next step necessarily. It's eye-opening in the short term, right? Because you're, you're looking for some help. You got to get started somewhere. What did you picture in early college? Did you have thoughts of what areas that you would take a business degree? Yeah. I mean, I always kind of assumed I'd go the healthcare route and mostly just because of the connective tissue to, you know, pharmacy and relationships there. I figured that would probably be the path. Um, my oldest sister had gone that route. And so I could kind of see a, a bit of a roadmap in terms of my future. Um, but, you know, that's easier said than done. You got to get some doors opened and um, but I always kind of assumed I would head down that direction. Did you think it would be anything, and I say this with all respect, you think it would be anything as small as attaching to your dad's pharmacy? Or was this going to be bigger, like running, you know, one of the big drug manufacturers or something like that? No, I never saw it as a, I never saw my career as being um, something that was, um, you know, connected really to you know, the pharmacy and the pharmacy background, I saw it as I would be doing something more, a little bit more nationally, more globally. And it always felt that way. Yeah. So you get out of school, though. Is it fair to say those jobs weren't there? Or do you think something was tugging you back to something, let's say, more personable or meaningful? Well, I think it's it's tough to get into healthcare jobs with just a you know standard business degree. And um, you got to get started somewhere. And that's really what took me to Really, uh, you know, frankly, I got done with school. I was just focused on getting done with school and I didn't really have a super good plan, right? And I started asking my dad if he had some connections and some relationships. He introduced me to a company at the time. It was called Bergen Brunswick, which is obviously now called Amerisource Bergen. And, uh, and that's where I got my start, right? So I was lucky enough to at least get an introduction, get my resume out there. And certainly I had a ton of pharmacy experience because I'd literally grown up in pharmacy, so that helped me tremendously to kind of bridge that gap to get started somewhere. And then I spent five years at Amerisource Bergen, and it was um, a really incredible experience, right? Because 
um, you've got you got to learn firsthand that it's all about relationships in this pharmacy space. And somebody could be walking in, another rep from a competing company could be walking in right behind you and they could have 25 basis points better deal. But you're hoping they're going to do business with me because I've been there. I've shown up every Friday and had conversations, you know, gave them updates, legislative updates, brought them materials, followed up on issues, questions. Um, and that's really where I kind of learned my way. Uh, it was an incredible experience. Were you a, what they would, maybe this is derogatory, were you a sales rep for them? Yep, exactly. hundred percent. Is there a better word for that now? <laughs> I, I mean, it is what we did, right? Everybody wants to change everything. Uh, yeah, I don't think we need to change it. I think it is, you know, we were sales reps and I had accounts in rural Oregon that if I showed up wearing a suit, they would throw me out. Don't you dare ever show up because it looks like you're trying to sell me something. And then you had others where that was the expectation that you had that professional attire. Um, but yeah, no, I was in a, you know, early days. So I started in retail. I spent three years in retail doing independent pharmacy. Um, it's great. It was great. It was fantastic. Um, we lost a lot of pharmacies though. So it started changing and evolving and uh, their opportunity came up to do something in alternate site. So alternate site would have been long-term care, home infusion, um, specialty, anything that was outside of acute and retail. And so I spent my next two years there. And that's really what kind of started my career. With Amerisource. With Amerisource, yep. Was it all soft sell with Amerisource? Like like our reps, they'd kind of come in and shoot the breeze for a bit. Did you have to do any like cold calling or like hard sales or anything like that? Yeah, contract negotiations, hard sales, um, trying to save an account, trying to close an account. Yeah, absolutely. I think we were too good of an account all those years. <laughs> well, nobody had to push too hard. Back before uh, 1995, nobody had to push too hard. You know, there was money in the business and everybody was pretty chummy with each other. The competition didn't really need to be there. But as those years came around, certainly there was a lot more of the the buying groups and the different things happening where where I can see that it would not have been your father's wholesaler, as they would say. No, you're absolutely right. The 2000s created a lot of pressure uh, in terms of, you know, cost of goods and, and, you know, all those different relationships, all those different pieces really started becoming to, you know, forefront. We also had, you know, the Pacific Northwest was kind of a nice little story up here. We also had more competition come into the space too. And competition created, you know, more aggressive pricing, more, um, you know, different stories, different programs. And so it just, it really did change when I started there. And I'm, I'm thankful for it. What competition came in? Uh, at the time it was, um, when I started, it was Binley Western. Okay. Just another wholesaler. Yeah. I got acquired by Cardinal, right? Everybody gets acquired. So you were in the retail spot, let's say for a few years. What was the impetus to say, I'm going to go to the non-traditional areas? Was that something that you approached them or they approached you or what? I, yeah, I saw an opportunity and I applied for it. It was, I would say it's twofold. It's, it's personal growth and professional growth, right? It was a space that I wasn't familiar with. I was very familiar walking into, you know, a drugstore. Like I was very confident in that. Uh, we're talking about institutional closed door pharmacies have a totally different view on things. They use, um, you know, much different solutions and, um, and like, for example, GPOs, right? And that was kind of my first introduction to group purchasing organizations and how I transitioned to my the main part of my career. Were you going to make more money in your other one or was, or was your job on the rocks with retail or were you just like, 
I want to change? It's it's more responsibility and this kind of notion of change, right? You were sick of the other one? Well, it was more I'd been around it. I mean, it's kind of going back to the story why I didn't go into pharmacy, right? I'd been around independent retail pharmacy for years and years. And I loved it. Part of it too is getting some separation. Everybody knew who my dad was. It was a small community. You know, it's like, I got to gotta kind of go prove things on my own and, you know, go about it a little bit differently. That was a big piece of it, right? I can see that. Was there anything memorable of you saying, you know, I need to do this on my own? Or was it just a feeling over time just to kind of separate yourself from being the son of your dad instead of being your own person? Was there anything that pushed that or was that just kind of a gradual feeling? No, no. I mean, I, you always want to earn your way and earn your keep and have your own name, right? I, I think fundamentally it's what drives us and, and your competitive spirit. So, no, that was it was definitely something that it, it, it was a new challenge, but also it was getting out from kind of underneath, like, you know, you're, you're Mike Douglas's son, right? Right. Um, and that's not, I'm super proud to be his son, but it's also, I want to go prove myself, right? You were there for three years. How long then do you end up in the other side of things at, at Amerisource? So I did alternate site for two years, um, had a lot of success, and I was working with a large post-acute GPO. And I worked very closely with those folks and we had a lot of mutual success. So driving savings for pharmacies, helping these long-term care pharmacies uh, be as successful as they possibly can. Um, Their CEO had got kind of wind of me and some of uh, my reputation, some of my um, experience out in the Pacific Northwest. He was actually uh, doing a kind of a turnaround of this company and, and he was building out his team. And they approached me to be a national account manager out on the West Coast. So it was now a bigger territory. I was covering Oregon, Washington, California, Idaho, Alaska, Montana. Um, and it was a it was a re- interesting because it was a really small company at the time. They had like 97 employees, Mike. Um, and then, you know, I'm going from a Fortune 25 company to a kind of a turnaround, um, almost a startup of sorts. But they're they're the CEO had just such a great vision and where he was going to take it. I thought, you know what, I'm young. I might as well go shoot my shot right now. And uh, I left and went to post-acute GPO and I had a lot of success there. So I came, I was a national account manager on the West region and became the director of sales, became the vice president. Uh, eventually the company sold to a public company and I was the executive vice president or a senior vice president for the long-term care division for um, like four years and I had responsibility for the GPO, uh, the payer network, so the PSAO, uh, the revenue cycle management software, and the clinical software. And so I got a, a, just a great experience. Um, loved it. I loved most everybody I worked with there. It was a really good thing. And what we did was we really just drove you know, value back to the pharmacies. And we tried to identify opportunities where we could drive value back to the pharmacy. So it was very rewarding, very fulfilling. You were two years in the alternative program at Amerisource. I don't like that term, alternative program. It makes you sound like you were a delinquent, like they caught you smoking or something. Well, it's the Pacific Northwest. It was, you know, the home of alternative rock. So it fits. You're right with Nirvana. Oh, Nirvana. Yeah, sure. Yep. They were just up north. Yeah. Seattle. Let's say that that GPO wasn't there. Let's say you didn't know these guys. How long do you think you would have stayed at Amerisource. Was that a good job those last two years or, or would you be looking to do something else at that time? Oh, I loved it. There was nothing 
I mean, you're always looking. I mean, there's always other opportunities, but I, I had nothing but um, great respect for the people I worked with and still friends with a, a number of them. Um, enjoyed the company, enjoyed the culture. And so, you know, you never know, really. I wasn't chasing down any new jobs. Honestly, they kind of came to me. Right. All right. So, Craig, you're with this group purchasing for how many years then? 13 years. So it was about four years ago that I left. What precipitated that then? Um, you know, companies change and evolve. Cultures change. Um, it was still a great company, but, you know, uh, people had moved on. People that you kind of grown up with in the company have kind of moved on. And um, that was one component, like everything. Everything has a shelf life, right? The other thing is it was a grind on me, um, you know, traveling from Portland, Oregon to uh, New Jersey. is uh, that's, a, that's a six-hour affair, right? Just if you're lucky. Have you traveled at all during COVID? No, but I but I have had partners that have traveled. Um, I'm in a kind of a you know I'm in a weird part of the world, so uh, it's not as easy for me to get around. But uh, we've and we've had instances where we had meetings set up, and then it's just like you know, uh, you know Atlanta gets shut down, and they're down into you know level one again, and so you can't really you're going to travel there, and you can't really do anything, and we're level one, we can't do anything here. You know, it's we've had to abandon some ideas of travel um, just because it just, it's not set up for it right now. But, um, and the other thing is we are in the healthcare space and, you know, they got a lot of stuff going on, right? Senior care space right now, they're trying to figure out how to roll out a vaccine and everything else. And so, you know, they don't necessarily need me wandering around the halls. So. Yeah, that's right. Do you think travel is kind of like, I'm proving to you, my customer, that you're worth me hopping on the plane and coming all the way down here. Is that part of travel too? I I think so. But um, I'm sure some people see it that way, but I don't see it that way. I see it more as there's a relationship there in most cases, uh, or there's a relationship you want to build in most cases. And it's a lot easier to do it in person and uh, to really have, you know, dynamic conversations that can go above and beyond just a simple topic, right? Um, and so I, I think maybe you're proving it a little bit to that client, but I I just think there's an expectation is it's how you build relationships, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the truth. And some people right now might say, well, we don't need it. This is going fine. It's like, yeah, but wait for five years. You ha- you're not going to build new relationships. Yeah. These are going to break down. The person that is visiting is going to build a relationship unbeknownst to you who are on the video camera, you know, thousands of miles away. I totally agree. I'm imagining that you say, all right, things have changed here at the GPO. And I think it's time for you then to say, one, I can move on to something that maybe fits myself better, my vision of who I want to be, what I'm doing. But also I imagine this goes off into an area of saying there's some problems out there that I can solve with my great background. Mm-hmm. Would that be fair to say that was a launching pad then of leaving the GPO? Or Yeah, I mean, I think things change and you obviously know that you've got a, a big network of people that you know and and if you can find the right solutions, you can build out some good uh, solutions in healthcare. And I think we, myself and my partners have always had a lot of confidence in that. Um, you know, there's, there was early days where you're not so sure how it's all going to play out, but um, you know, you, um, you just, you make it happen, right. You make it work. And so we've been able to stand up a couple companies and, you know, one 
pretty you know excited to kind of talk to you about was Statum and just what we've been able to do at Statum RX and and how that's kind of helping the industry. After you left the GPO, how long was it before you formed Statum? Was that your first company you formed? No, it was our second. What was the first one? Well, it's a formulary management company. It's called LithiRx, and so it's very it's a very um, niche business, very focused on long-term care pharmacy. So it's, it's landscape. It's a nice, it's a really nice little company, but it's landscape is, it's really small. Um, you have to have, you have to have uh, a fair amount of um, part A patients and really just patients coming out of a nursing home into a short stay within a nursing home or out of a hospital into a short stay within a nursing home. So it's not as broadly um, known, um, but that was the one that we stood up initially then we brought in, um, you know, one of my buddies who I'd worked with in the past as well was looking for a change. Uh, his name is John D. Fiore. He came out and uh, we had this idea of Statomarex and what we were going to do there. All right. Devil's advocate, Craig. Ready for this one? Yeah. Partners suck. <laughs> Don't ever get a partner. Why would you want a partner? Tell me why that statement wouldn't be fair to say to you and your partners. Well, I would say partners are hard, right? Hard. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, if you're realistic, we all have our strengths and weaknesses. And I have a number of partners that have strengths that I don't have and vice versa. Um, and it's also helped to scale uh, across the country in a way that I couldn't have done on my own. And so I think it's really important. And look, you know, partners, it's, it's again, it's about relationships. It's you know, there's good days and bad days, right? Um, but I had already worked with most of these partners in a prior life. So we, we kind of knew, we knew each other really well, right? Um, and we felt pretty confident in that. It doesn't mean there still isn't roller coasters. There absolutely is. But man, if it was easy, everybody would do it. And it, it's just, it's not. But I would rather be a part of a partnership with some some folks that, you know, know how to go to war with you then, you know, own 100% of something that's, you know, not that impactful in the marketplace, right? So I would trade that off all day long. You would? Yep. Back on the devil's side, somebody says, well, Craig, I'm going to give you a million to set this up. And your answer to that is, no, I still want these guys or gals with me. But I'm saying, yeah, but Craig, the, the money's there. And you're saying, no, Mike. I still want it this way. Why? What can these guys do that fictitiously, if the money was there, that you could not buy? It's to your point, you know, partners suck, right? I think it's what you said. Um, <laughs> owners, owners suck too. So, you know, working for working for money, working for a uh, financial institution, that's no, that's no uh, walk in the park either. And so it's just a balance. You mean people working for you might say it sucks and they're gone then. And me, my livelihood, like, so I go take some money from a financial group. They own, they own me now. They can fire me and move me out as just quickly as they would like. Back on the devil's side. No. Let's say it was your money. You don't owe anybody the money. It's your money. You don't have to pay it back. Nobody owns you. You can take that X million dollars and set up your management team and so on with this money. Take the money out of it. Let's say money's not an issue. You'd still rather say, no, Mike, I don't care what money could buy for this. 
I'd rather be in the relationship of partners with these five guys instead of me being their boss. Is that true? Yeah, I think you get a lot more done when you have everybody has skin in the game, right? And even if I controlled everything, I wouldn't have the relationships that some of them have. And so it allows you to move a lot faster than you would otherwise, right? You wouldn't have the relationship that they have with people. Certain clients, right? And this is a relationship business. So, I mean, Statum is a great example of that. I mean, it's only two years old and I mean, people, they know who we are and there's a lot happening there. But it's, I'd say that's a byproduct of the people that are behind the business, right? And not so much if it was just me, I don't think it would be as compelling of a story. And they have better relationships because they're not sent on a mission from you, the owner, and they've got some people that are trying to get money from. You probably could not find somebody with that kind of relationship who maybe is now doing their own thing already. No, I mean, interesting. Our, our the president of this of Statum, um, he had his first kid and he was in she was in the NICU for a month and we were running this business. And I mean, I, I tell you, that guy barely missed a beat. And I'm, I'm not sure, you know, was that the best thing we all should have been doing? I don't, I don't know, but he was emotionally and personally invested in seeing this business succeed. I don't know if it would have mattered if I told him, don't pick up your phone, don't do anything. I mean, he's stuck in the hospital waiting for an update on his daughter and he's working, you know, he's like, I got nothing else to do. It takes my mind off it. And so I think, it creates that unique quality in, in, in an individual who has ownership in a business. And yes, it does create unique challenges as well. But um, I think this is way more impactful to have somebody who lives and breathes it, cares about it, right? Yeah, it sounds like you're able to take, let's say, the five of you and you guys turn this into 10 of you with the positive of the relationship versus if you had employees, you might be paying for five and get the work done of about three or at least the commitment and so on. Yeah. And it's so incestuous. It's like, you know, train somebody for two years to have half a clue about the industry, the relationships, who do you connect with? It's just, it's just tough to break into a space unless they know you. Right. Yeah. And these people already have that. Yeah. And so we're kind of scattered all over the country. So there's some you know, geography components to it as well. You know, we have some people very strong in the Midwest and Southeast and Northwest and all those different caveats. Yeah. And if you had employees doing that, before you know it, they might either be doing their own thing or or what they have would look vastly different from what you were, what your mission was back at, you know, back at home. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, I, I came from the world where I had lots of employees and um, it, it's got its set of challenges too. So... <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah. Yes, you know. So it's not, uh, it's just different challenges, right? At the end of the day. Yeah. It's different. All right. Yeah. So, Craig, you and your partners find Statum RX. And what drew me to having you on the show was it seemed that you had four or more major functions, I guess, or services. And it seems to me that you're not in our a young industry that the long-term cares, it seems like a lot of the nursing homes have stuff set up with long-term care pharmacies already. And it seems like there's some catch as catch can stuff by some independent pharmacies, because a lot of times these long-term care pharmacies are not in the same town. So it seems to me that 
these services, are they kind of bridging a gap? Do these homes already have a care pharmacy and you're filling in somehow? What, what is STATUM? What does it do? The easiest sense is our relationships, again, with the, the institutional long-term care pharmacy, and they have a contract with a nursing home maybe, you know, 150 miles away. These nursing homes already have a long-term care pharmacy. You're not partnering with the nursing home trying to come in and gain that business. You're connecting with the long-term care pharmacies. Everything we do is pharmacy centric. So absolutely. And so we just we just provide a channel for them to get a stat med from an existing platform somewhere, right? And get that med filled and delivered to the client in the quickest way possible. How would these places, if they didn't have someone like you, like Statum, mm-hmm. what would these long-term care pharmacies be doing then? Would these things fall through the cracks or would they try to go to some other pharmacy in town or what, what hole are you filling then? Well, so in the old days, there was just a lot more of those pharmacies and they'd probably be just, you know, kind of like my dad was and they would just drive down and get the med filled and get it delivered themselves. The long-term care would. And your dad would just treat them as a customer. Exactly. And well, they were a customer, right? And so um, there was, there were, back in the day, there was a lot more of those long-term care pharmacies that serviced a smaller geography, right? And they would probably just handle it themselves. But also then, you know, what happens, you get in the cost of having pharmacists on call, getting called in the middle of the night, all those types of things. And then you got that patient, that pharmacist driving down to the pharmacy to fill it and all these other things. When you're talking about probably, you know, I don't know, a $10 drug, right? But you got to get that med to the patient because it's it's there's a time reason behind it. Craig, but why wouldn't boy the devil's coming out a lot in this show? But why <laughs> would, why wouldn't your dad say screw it? I'm not going to help Mrs. Smith at this house that the long-term care pharmacy is doing all of her business. Why should I come down after close and help out Mrs. Smith if I haven't seen her for four months because this long-term care pharmacy right. is doing it? Well, for that example, he was the long-term care pharmacy. He yeah. was the long-term care pharmacy. He was everything. Like every, like most of the community pharmacies, you, you probably have a lot of different lines that you service. He serviced a lot of different lines, and that was one of them. So what we've been able to do is kind of take that – was a problem there, take it out into a much global manner and give people the ability to get a med filled and get it taken care of and go from there. Gotcha. Because we've got some long-term care pharmacies and they would pay us for it, but they'd say, hey, we're down in Ohio, you know, a couple hundred miles away. Can you fill a three-day prescription for this and this, you know, company? And we would do it if the money was high enough, but it wasn't worth breaking our back for because this customer wasn't going to be our long-term customer. So have you guys then created a network of other pharmacies, of independent pharmacies and so on that will, that for a fee, you know, will, will do this for, for the long-term care? Yeah. It's a mix of independence, a mix of chains. It's, you know, every, everybody has, um, you know, if you've got, if you got pharmacists standing around at 12 o'clock at night, you know, it probably makes sense to run some prescriptions out the door. Um, so everybody's got their own desire, whether or not it fits for them or not. But um, we've been able to, you know, work on that across the country. And so then the other component that came out of that was logistics side and saying, uh, you know, how do you get that med now from the pharmacy to the nursing home, right? Somebody's got to do that. And 
but more importantly, how do you track it through the whole process and make sure nothing happens? Right. And so we were sitting there scratching our head and we were, we couldn't believe all the answers we'd get from people. Oh, we use taxis. We do stuff like that. I'm like, oh, how do you track that? How do you get a signature? And goodness gracious. How do you, what if, what if you get audited or you, they said they didn't get the med? How do you even know any of that stuff? And so we build a really, and this has been the evolution of the company is we built this whole, you know, uh, logistics portal to, to manage all that. So you can see when a delivery has been entered to be picked up and you can see the driver's you know, accept it. You can track them all the way to the retail pharmacy to pick up the med and they take a picture of it and they drive it back to the nurse home. They get a signature from nurse Smith and it all gets funneled back to our portal. So they have a um, tremendous amount of confidence and um, the audit capabilities to go back and show you that that prescription has been fulfilled and delivered and taken care of. So, you know, from that, Mike, is we've all of a sudden people started asking us, could we do more in terms of healthcare logistics, right? And they're like, look, you have this whole network of drivers all over the country on demand, ready to go. What else could we be doing with that? Um, so we started getting activity. Obviously, this whole COVID thing popped up and we have health systems knocking on, on our door going, hey, um, we don't actually want people coming to the hospital to pick up their meds. Like, yeah, no, I get it. We can help you and we can help do that fulfillment and we can do it in one of two manners, right? We can do it on demand. So maybe you just weren't planning on it and Mrs. Smith needs to get her med right away. And so you can just schedule up a driver and they'll come over and get it and deliver it. Or we can create sweeps for you. We can create routed systems that you know you have these neighborhoods that you service every week and we can have it set up so that the driver comes in, gets the meds and goes and takes those 10 deliveries. And we've done that also in retail pharmacies as well. Because as you know, there, you know, there's there's a million tech startups now, and they talk about being able to deliver meds next day and all this other stuff. Well, I mean, retail pharmacies already have the platform. They should be getting the med there same day. And, and I this notion, because I grew up in the space, is you got to have the patient come into your pharmacy. Yeah, I get it. That would be ideal. It'd be ideal that you get some FaceTime with them. But that's not where we're at right now. I mean, people people aren't even going into restaurants. So there's not a lot of desire to be in a building right now. And so we've been uh, moving out into the retail space to say, hey, gosh, we can work with you. We can build out sweeps to help you retain these, these patients. We can build out on-demand solutions so that when your driver's already out and you missed a med, which happens all the time, or the refill came in late, you know, you can just dial one up. And I know that, you know, it, there's obviously a cost to that, but you're also trying, you're competing in a marketplace that's getting more and more competitive, right? Where, you know, there's whole pharmacy systems that are built on same day delivery. And, um, you know, there's, you know, thousands of retail pharmacies out there that are already there that can do exactly the same thing. And so, you know, we've been slowly expanding outside of the LTC market to, you know, health systems in the retail space to say, look at these solutions, they're, they're, they're good for you as well. This is really the time to do it. The example you gave before the pharmacy delivery, the hospital sometimes has to get people medicine or? Yeah, that was, that was really around, you know, a lot of hospitals have outpatients uh, programs, right? Oh, gotcha. Right now, yeah. they don't want patients coming on the campus. They got enough, they got enough workload on campus. And so it was, it was this notion of being able to uh, take care of that patient, right? Keep the outpatient pharmacy uh, running smoothly and, and not compromising it, but also keeping some um, continuity in that program around servicing that patient instead of just closing the door and telling them to go somewhere else, they can still service that patient and get them the meds in a safe manner. Right. Um, so that, that was, that's part of what's come out of all this. 
So we do tens of thousands of deliveries a month now, and we do, they're all HIPAA certified drivers. Um, we have just a really slick portal that allows uh, providers to dial up what they want to do. They can do multi-stops, single stops, on-demand sweeps. Um, and it's something we're really excited about it because there's just, you know, there's nobody that really does it quite like we do and has the software technology behind it that we do and has the network of drivers that we do. And so, you know, I always think back to my, my, my old days and thinking about retail pharmacies. And I used to be the guy that got the box of drugs at the end of the day. And then I'd go out and I'd get lost half the time. And I did, <laughs> I'd make the deliveries and inevitably I'd come back and there'd be three more drugs that we missed. Right. And so um, there was a cost to that. It wasn't much of a cost because it was me. I was the son, but there's a lot of pharmacies that employ somebody full time. And that's, that's a better service. It looks better. They know the driver. That's all great. But, you know, it could be a Saturday. That person could be sick. There's all these different things that could happen. Is being able to just tap into a portal of drivers to go get a med. You know, they're HIPAA compliant. They're going to get it and they're going to get it delivered. You know, they may not, you know, know the patient's name, but they're still getting the med to them, which is the most important piece. Um, and so that's really where we're seeing the expansion of this business, right, is being able to be a really – we're there's lots of companies that do stuff like this, but most of them are also delivering, you know, groceries and they're delivering you know restaurants and and we're we're focused on healthcare that's where we that's our bread and butter and it's something we're pretty proud of just like a pharmacist mm -hmm. on the first service you do of filling some of these prescriptions just like they fill hundreds of other ones not for not related to you are these drivers doing other driving things i mean they're not just statum people right no, they're not. They'll take on other jobs, right? Like um, they'll take on other um, opportunities as well. It could be like an Uber driver, but who's, you know, certified through you and so on. Exactly. Exactly. It could be. Absolutely. Um, and then there's, there is a subsection, a pretty good subsection that just mostly focus on healthcare and not much else. So it's a mixed bag. It depends on what you're looking for at the end of the day. If it's on, if it's on demand and you're just, you know, deciding here in the next hour that you're going to schedule something up, it's probably going to be you know, a um, Johnny of all, Jack of all trade drivers that would would grab that med and get that. But that's that's just a one off, right? That's just taking care of the patient, doing the right doing the right thing. Um, we have other drivers that this all they do is healthcare all day long. Yeah, if you're able to say if a company wants you for a certain route or something, well, now you know that you can do all right, three hours for this company, three for here and three for here. Now all of a sudden you've got a full time driver that can basically be only healthcare then. Yep, exactly. That's exactly it. And so we're nationwide. We're we're in forty seven states. Um, the only three we're really not in is just we just haven't pushed it too hard. But uh, we can pretty much go into most any market. Um, rural markets take a little bit longer, but I mean, it, for example, Oregon's pretty rural, and there's nowhere that we don't deliver here. And that's just not a byproduct of that I live here. It's just that's what we're capable of. Um, whether it's Oregon or Alabama or you know, Georgia, whatever it is, we, we can go into markets and, uh, and cover them quite well. If the price is right, I'm imagining you can find a driver almost any time. You might have to pay a higher rate or find someone or do this, but especially with Uber and uh, Lyft and all those companies out there now, people know this. And if you, if you communicate and get the price high enough, if needed, you're going to find someone to take your medicine. Absolutely. And you're right. It's, if it's, you know, 4 a.m. in the morning, it's a different price point. 
right? Uh, if it's a scheduled delivery that you do every single week and it's usually done during the week, it's it's less than the 4 a.m. on demand, you know, last second delivery. The reality of it is, though, in all these situations, it, in the environment we're in today, you're protecting the patient, you're protecting the healthcare workers, and and honestly, we're we're providing jobs. People are looking to make some extra money, and so it works out. There's a lot of really good people that um, you know don't have uh, you know careers right now. They don't have jobs, and so they're trying to make ends meet. And so it's been a it's been a nice kind of uh, circle of um, um, a value that's being added to the uh, to the uh, pharmaceutical supply chain in terms of you know getting the patients the right men at the right time. Well, I know that our deliveries probably at least doubled during COVID. Yeah, it's been a huge spike, and you know we've been really good about you know we're flexible, we're nimble, um, we know the space, we've got great uh, logistics uh, managers that know the ins and outs and make all this work and have relationships all over the country, and so. We can step in in a moment's notice, and we've done it in multiple cases, uh, you know, big hospital systems where we've been able to step in in a week and solve their problem and make sure that those meds are being taken care of. So um, it's been it's been pretty fulfilling from that standpoint, frankly. The demand is there because of COVID, but the supply of drivers is there because people not working as much. And, and thankfully, they're getting some work out of out of you guys. And making some side money for sure. This is just a, a story that I think adds value to what you're saying is that people will come in just, you know, yesterday they said, I remember your dad, Mike, he'd, you know, <laughs> so there, there's a positive and negative to each story, right? So the positive <laughs> is, I remember your dad, Mike, he, he came out at, you know, 1130 at night and brought me some Benadryl because my child had this or that. Oh, that's a positive. The negative, well, my dad had to go out at 1130 at night and... <laughs> You know, I'd rather have someone else do it and say, well, maybe Mike wasn't there shivering at my doorstep, but somebody was there and and got me the medicine that I needed. Certainly helps with the quality of life, right? And and employee retainment too, you know, you, if it's not you, it's somebody else that's going and doing it in the middle of the night. And there's a lot of you know willing and able people out there looking to make a few bucks as well. I imagine you always are thinking of other markets you could do. What else would you put under Statum versus not putting under Statum because you might confuse the customer? The only other one that we've really put under there is um, the provider-focused PBM solution. And this was a byproduct of our pharmacies going, you guys have the, the expertise and the capabilities of doing this. Could you do it? Outside of that, I, I, I have to be careful with this one is that I keep telling my partners we're not going to do anymore, and I keep telling my wife I'm not starting any more companies. So we'll have to see how this all plays out. <laughs> that's my that's my message, and I'm sticking to it for now. So we'll see. Let's say the prescription delivery part becomes ninety percent of your business in Statum. Would you ever make that just Statum, and then take everything else out and call it something else, just to give a real clear vision of your top? mover? Or would you bring 30 things under Statum that are all in the same pathway, but not exactly delivery? You've seen people do it with like, they've got this broad thing, but all of a sudden they call this something different because it's such a successful part of their business. Right now they're all synergistic, right? And so they all work really well together. So, but I would never say if, if it evolves and we're 90% logistics, maybe it looks different. That's for sure. 
today just kind of by nature is um, we started really on the on the pharmacy side. We got into logistics because we didn't see a very good solution there, and and now we're evolving into more. We're working with a number of our clients on this the whole vaccine distribution and helping them right, which is very complicated and uh, very timely in terms of the rollout in the senior care market, which is something we never would have guessed we were doing, but we're built for it. And we have the skills and uh, the relationships to go make it work. And so, you know, that's probably not a long-term part of our business. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but it's the right thing to do by the industry right now. We do it, right? You just get it done. So, you know, but it's still within kind of our core business. So it makes a lot of sense. If they get vaccines from you, they might use the other things from you too. Right. The reason I ask is like our pharmacy is I've got my pharmacy name and then the tagline or the the description is pharmacy and home medical equipment. And I've always wondered if I would be stronger in my market instead of calling it X pharmacy and then call it Y home medical equipment because people can say, oh, yeah, but there's a synergy. It's like, yeah, there is. But if I didn't have that synergy, if I just called it Y home medical equipment, would that be even a stronger focus? And would people know that we're damn serious about it instead of like combining the two things? So I, I just always wonder that, you know. How far I'd go? I think it's a great point. I would say our logistics business is a byproduct of our current business today, right? And so, but to your point, now that we have that stood up, is it better as it's on its own? I don't I don't think we're there yet, but I'm always open to it. But I, I agree with your point. I mean, I know that the, the you know the medical equipment side and the pharmacy side, and there's lots of companies that have been pharmacy and medical equipment, right? And you do wonder because then you see you compete, you're competing. Against a big box chain for pharmacy, and you're also competing against those that do nothing but medical equipment, and they're bigger and they're out there. I think it really comes down to just kind of like you know, are they synergistic? Probably not, but do you have somebody who's responsible for that line and they live and breathe it all day long? Is this your final landing spot? You know, I want to continue to build these businesses and and have them you know be a you know a lasting legacy for sure, and and have a special story to, to tell about it. You know, I don't see myself ever, no matter what happens down the road, I don't see myself ever kind of leaving the marketplace per se, the healthcare marketplace. I mean, it's, I'm here to stay and I may look at other ventures or other opportunities, but right now there's just a lot of work to do day in and day out on this thing right now. And we've got a long, a lot of work, a lot of excitement yeah, and a long runway. I mean, we're just tapping, we're just, just tapping the marketplace. So we've got a lot of stuff to still do and execute on. And, um, yeah, it's it's exciting. So we'll worry about I'll worry about those problems down the road. <laughs> worry about growing too much later on. Yeah, yeah, that'd be yeah. a great problem to have. Well, Craig, pleasure meeting you. Hey, real pleasure. I appreciate. It. I love the, the just the back and forth. I think this was really good, really good dialogue, and it's good. I, I love connecting with people in the space and your background and your history, and you, you you probably hear some of the things I say, and it just makes you chuckle about you know growing up in independent pharmacy, and now you live it and breathe it all the, all the time, right? Yeah, I live it, and people ask me if my kids will be, and I'm like, no, they won't. I was just going to ask you. No, no, you don't think so. One of my sons, he has a business degree, and he's come back, and it's a good thing for him because he's my firstborn, and he's young enough just to really get in the dirt of this, and then at any time he could just say, I'm going to do something else. He'll still be young enough, you know, and so on. But none of the other ones have any interest. And that's just fine with me because if any of them happen to stumble onto pharmacy and love the science and love the love everything about it and did it knowing that 
there's a highly likely chance I won't be there, then that's fine. You know, because in the old days, you could look out two years down the road about the future of your business. Now you can look out about two minutes down the road. So Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I'm pretty thankful that none of them are in it. We're a third generation. It's been a good ride. And I bring up partners too because my grandpa, my dad, and I, we've always basically ran the store as one benevolent dictator. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Yeah. Heavy on the dictator and not so sure about the benevolency, (laughs) but um, that's what I call it nonetheless. That's awesome. Well, thanks, Craig. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Please subscribe for all future episodes. Thank you.